Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. I believed everybody worked exactly like I worked. Mm -hmm. I, I believed that. I thought you show up, I mean, you have your priorities, you do that. How disappointing was that for me? <laughs> that a whole bunch of people did not have the same discipline. They didn't have the same strategies. And it's so weird because I think like, why wouldn't they be doing it the way that I do it? Well, they've had a mm -hmm. whole different life than mine. They've had all these different experiences and this is what they know. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 129. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Anthony Anario. Anthony is a highly respected international speaker, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and sales leader, specializing in the complex business-to-business -business sale. He's also a founder and managing partner of two closely held family-owned businesses in the staffing industry, leading both entities in strategic planning while growing sales. Anthony is best known for his work at the sales blog, which has helped him gain recognition as a top thought leader in sales strategy. He's also the designer of level four value creation and building consensus, methodologies that help sales organizations achieve transformational breakthrough results. In each business, Anthony is focused on helping professionals read their full reach their full potential. In 2007, while growing the sales force for his, uh, of his second staffing firm, he discovered a knack for coaching and realized that he could make enduring contributions to a company's sales culture. He began blogging about complex selling processes and gravitated towards B2B companies facing challenges in sales force management and performance. His transition to professional speaking, consulting, and workshop facilitation led to the development of a trademarked methodology that has proven instrumental in helping sales organizations achieve revenue goals. Anthony, so glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me on. I've been waiting for this for quite a while. <laughs> well, I'm I'm super excited, and that was quite a quite a bio. So we've got a lot to unpack. Uh, why don't you take us a little bit behind the scenes and 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 tell the story not from the the bio standpoint, but from your standpoint. What what where were you that that brought you to where you are now, and how do you help people today? Yeah, from the the short version of this story, um, my dad left when I was uh, probably six years old. My mom was raising four kids by herself. Uh, we were all in one tiny little apartment. Mm. And uh, when you don't have a father around, you find uh, other adult male um, people that are not probably the best for you to be around. So that was my start. At 15, I knew that I wanted to be a rock and roll star. Mm. And uh, I started playing music at that time. Uh, at 17, I had a band. Before we were allowed to go into bars, we were playing in bars. And we were getting paid uh, in beers And at 17. So at some point... Pretty good, pretty uh, good currency. It was a good currency at that time, yes. Yeah. And uh, I had a girlfriend who said, uh, you're really good at this. Now, you can't see this on me now, but I had hair down to like close to my weight. I was actually weight. about to ask you that question because yeah. I assumed it was a drop longer when you were playing rock and roll. Uh, quite, quite a bit longer. And she said, you should go to L.A. 
and I said, okay, I'll go to LA and start a hair metal band. And that's what I did. And um, that's when uh, my life really changed. I was very happy in Los Angeles. I loved the city. I was in Brentwood. And one day I came home from work and I was walking up my steps and I had a grand mal seizure. And uh, mm. the interesting thing about having a grand mal seizure is you're the only person that doesn't know you had a grand mal seizure. <laughs> Everyone mm. else that saw you know that something happened. Uh, I went to UCLA. They told me I had cancer on the right side of my brain. And uh, I protested because it's my nature to say, could I have not cancer? That's the only words I could come up with. And they said, you could have something called an arterial venous malformation, but it would be the biggest one we've ever seen. They were the worst salespeople I've ever seen. They're like, this is going to be so good for us. We're going to bring in all kinds of people. We're going to train them. Everybody's going to be watching this. And, and I was like, would it be okay if I called my family? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and they said, yeah, you can. I came home to Columbus. I had two surgeries, one where they... Uh, embolized it which means they just filled it with an epoxy so this arteries and veins got so there wouldn't be so much uh, blood and then uh, the that was a nine hour surgery and then i had an 11 hour surgery and after trying to drive drop out of high school every single day i decided after losing a piece of my brain that i should probably do something with what's left and uh, mm -hmm. there's plenty of left but uh i decided to go to college I graduated summa cum laude. I went, uh, I got the Dean's Academic Scholarship to law school where I decided being a lawyer doesn't look like a lot of fun. <laughs> it just doesn't look, they don't look like they're having fun either. And then I went to Harvard Business School and then I started growing a, a business and that was my trajectory. So it was mm. from uh, rock and roll all the way to uh, a lot of years of uh, college. Wow. My daughter's in PA school now. I think she would have appreciated your 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 medical description from earlier. She certainly could have understood it better than I did. Um, and then I heard the piece about it being a lawyer. I actually intended to be a lawyer as well for a short period of my life. But you decided to, realize... to be happy instead? <laughs> you could say that. You could say that. I do know a few happy lawyers. Um, I got some of them in my mastermind group. Great guys. Um, but I will tell you that what ultimately happened for me is that I found that I have a knack for education and I actually went in that direction. I was a classroom teacher for a bunch of years, became a principal. And now I'm also in the coaching space, having leveraged those experiences to get into coaching. So let's talk about how you moved from the path that you just described specifically. I, I know that I think you were, you were, you are still running businesses and whatnot. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. But again, with a focus on what I really want to unpack in this episode is the sales piece, the coaching, the the art of sales, all of that. So how you bring us there is up to you. Yeah, I, I would tell you, I, I started coaching um, in 2007, and I had a lot of people that noticed that I was able to do $50 million in a temporary staffing business with four salespeople. That's all I had. And people were thinking like, how do you do that? And I just uh, trained them and developed them and spent a lot of time coaching them. And their win rates are between 85 and 90%. And that's what got people's attention. And they thought, well, could you help us do that? And it started with my competitors. And I'm like, it's really hard to go 
have Christmas with your mom after you just helped uh, one of your, their competitors take their client, right? So that's not mm-hmm. going to be a good strategy. And I just started to work outside of of that. And um, my structure with this, and you're you're a coach, so this is like coach nerd talk now. For me, mm-hmm. what I noticed is that there's one of two things that happens when you start to coach somebody. And for me, it was either they already have an awareness or they do, they, they lack that awareness and the decision that you make, I'd love to hear your, your response to this too. It's how you go into that, whether you're going to explain to them that they have no awareness that a whole bunch of other people uh, are quite aware of, or you're, you're going to ask them what's showing up and see if they actually have that awareness. And for me, that's the starting part part of this. And I think it's the most it's the most important part of the start for me. Now, I'd love to hear you say something about that because you're a coach and you're doing this with leaders. And I wonder uh, what that looks like when you sit down with them and you open that first coaching conversation. Yeah, it's a great question. And um, I, I, get, I guess we've turned the tables here, which is nice. I don't usually get interviewed on my own podcast. So thank <laughs> you for that question. Um I, I tell my clients typically that there are two A's that we focus on, which is awareness and accountability. And so you talked about the awareness piece. Obviously, awareness is only as good as the actions that you take behind it. And when it comes to how aware the client is, it often depends on on the nature of the coaching. So sometimes coaching is more exploratory, at which right. point I find the awareness to be a little bit less developed. Oftentimes the awareness is there, but they don't really know what to do with it. They don't really know where to take them. Maybe they're even too aware for their own good. And so they have multiple options in front of them and they're struggling to make the right strategic choice to grow in in terms of growing their businesses, helping other people, things of that nature. So I don't have a single answer that I think would answer your question. I think it is client specific. Yeah. You know, if I'm doing a training that I'm coming in with an assumption that their awareness is less not because I assume that they don't know anything, but because I have to have some kind of baseline if I'm going to be training a group of individuals. So for example, the other day, because my background is in education, I did a training for, I'd like to say about 60 educators. They had a professional development day. And naturally there's going to be a range, a range of experience, a range of expertise, different grade levels, different you know eras in which people were trained in all of that. And so I have to have a benchmark. I have to have a standard. At the same time, I don't assume that everybody is completely ignorant of what I'm sharing, but I want everybody to own it in a way that that is appropriate for them. Right. So I've learned to be less of the sage on the stage. I've learned to be less the content presenter in the sense of, I'm just going to roll through my PowerPoint. Here's all my content. Here's what I want you to learn. And more presenting the content and giving people an opportunity to discuss it to work with it and to draw their own conclusions, their own ranking of what's their priority. What do they want to take out? Because you can't master everything. If I give you 20 strategies, the maximum I ask you to learn for the moment are two or three. Right. Because I know if you give them too much, they're not going to do anything with it. That, that was my sin. When I started training, I'm going to give you everything. So, and then Mm -hmm. by giving you everything, I've given you nothing, right? So if you could walk away with two actionable strategies, th- that's plenty to work on. And yeah. now as a, as a trainer, we ask people to do about 30 minutes of a course 
And then we ask them to spend two to three work, weeks working on the behavioral changes, because that's what we're really trying to get done is that behavioral change. And if you give people too much, it's just impossible for them to figure out what to do. And they just right. throw their hands up like, I, well, you gave me too many things to do, so I'm not sure. I have a, a partner in this, and we, we've decided to take a lot less time on the, the coursework and more time on the behavioral parts, because that's really where all the action is. I love it. I love it. So let's actually dive more into sales. Cause I think what, whether people realize it or not, we're selling all the time, right? So I might have a project, a product, a service, a widget, whatever it might be that I'm looking to sell to the market, or maybe I'm trying to sell an idea. Maybe I'm trying to sell myself as a potential partner or, or, um, uh, you know, someone, so employee or, or or leader, right? There's continuous forms of selling that's going on. I'm assuming you're working primarily, correct me, of course, if I'm wrong, with sales teams and people really focus intently in the sales process. What do you think, Anthony, is the essence of selling? And, and what is the most common mistake that people make that make you scratch your head and say, you know, what a shame it's it's the, the, we could really get so much more done if yeah uh here here's the problem for most sellers and in part it's because of how their leaders treat them so i'll put these two things together they think that they're supposed to come in and say i'm going to tell you about my company i'm going to tell you about our clients i'm going to tell you about our solutions and how we're helping other people just like you and so this would be a self-oriented approach. I'm trying to pitch you. I'm trying to get my credibility. And what that does is it, it causes people to move away from you because you're only talking about you. So you're a terrible first date. It, it's, uh, it would be like a, a guy sitting down across from a woman that he has an interest in. And he starts saying like, I'm super rich. You can see how good looking I am. I have a big house. I have a big car. I make a lot of money. And then the woman would say something like, well, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom. And then he would have to say something like, why are you taking your uh, purse with you? And that's because she's going to get an Uber and get away home because that person's not interested in her. So right. the best thing that you can do as a salesperson is to decide that you are there to uh, create value for the other person, whether they buy from you or not. So I'm going to teach you everything that you need to know to make a certain decision that you don't make often enough, but that I help people make all the time. So my job is to educate you so that at the end of our conversation, you would make the decision that I would make for you if you asked me to. But I'm mm -hmm. going to teach you all those things so that now you have all the same it's information disparity. I'm going to say, you don't know these things. So I'm going to give those to you. And now you can start looking at the same lens that I'm looking through. And that helps people make those decisions. So my uh, very strong conviction here is our job is to take care of that person and make sure that they get the decision right. Even if the decision is my competitors way better for you on this one, if that's true, uh, that that's what you do. And uh, I think that that's the most important thing. And it's the truth at any cost, even the cost of the deal. I mean, that, that's how I've always operated and it works yeah. the best for me. And there's a lot of integrity there. And I think people appreciate that. But what I would, what I would not even push back a probe, I think would be the better way of looking at it. 
I, I feel like if you and I are in a conversation and I've already started to get to know you and I trust you, you're a person who has wisdom and insight and information, then that conversation certainly could unfold and I would be listening to that information that you're presenting and ultimately come to that decision or not. But I think for many people, the hardest part is getting their foot in the door, so to speak, and or even in the conversation itself, moving from the small talk, that awkward initial conversation where we don't really know each other yet, we haven't yeah. built rapport, and now I'm trying to pitch you on something big. How do you help people bridge from that initial awkward element or that unknown component to where that no known like and trust agent or advisor becomes relevant. Um, what, what I would tell you is that we believe um, from a lot of experience that the rapport building comes at the end of the conversation instead of the beginning, because people are now so busy. Like they weren't this busy in the eighties and the nineties, but now they are time. Uh, they need more time and they don't have it. So we remove all of that and we start with an executive briefing about their industry and the trends that are going on. And it causes people to lean forward and start saying, well, if these data points that you're showing are true, this explains why we have some of these problems. And I want to be an expert and an authority and create value for them as quickly as I can in that conversation. Um, my pitch is so different. I'll do it for you if you want me to hear it. So people, if they want to take something out from uh, a sales uh, idea here, my pitch would be something like, it's Anthony Anarino. I'm with B2B Sales Coach and Consultancy. And I'm calling you to ask you for a 25-minute executive briefing where I can share with you the four trends that are going to have the biggest impact on oil and gas over the next six to 12 months. And even if there's not a next step for me, I'm going to leave you with the slide deck so you can share it with your team and you'll know how we think about these things. And now when you deliver that exec executive briefing, it's an hour and a half because you're the first person that sat, sat down and tried to create value without having to say anything about their company or their solution. It's just too early to do that. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trading the value of the executive briefing for their time instead of asking them for the time so that I can pitch my solution to them. And when people start to understand you have lots of time if you create value for people, it's very easy. We had a, a training yesterday and one person said, it changes the relationship with the client so fast, it's really odd. You ask for 25 minutes, in an hour and a half, you have to have asked to leave because they want somebody to help and uh, that's that's how that really works today. I actually like that that lab. I like everything you said. The last part in particular, I want to emphasize because I think it's it's really true. You know, people often say, "I'm so busy," and mm -hmm. and yes, there are more things competing for our time. I do believe that than ever before. On the other hand, what we're busy with is oftentimes minutia, silly things. You know scrolling through our feeds, getting distracted by who knows what. So we do have time. We just have to think about our time differently. And sometimes others coming in and saying, here, I've got some real value proposition for you. Would you be willing to look at this with me? And if they say, you know, this is a problem, 
we've been grappling with this. We don't have an answer. And someone's coming in with a potential solution. And he seems like a good guy. And I vetted him out. I've checked out his, his LinkedIn page or whatever, his website. Then all of a sudden, it's like the splitting of the Red Sea. You know, <laughs> yeah. we've got much more time, much more attention and focus because people realize that there, there are different levels of what's important. And that's something yeah. I teach in my productivity training as well, right? What are the most important tasks? Make sure right. that you deal with those at the right time, usually first thing in the morning. But if you don't distinguish between what's really important and what's not so important, you'll get sucked into all these smaller things. And, uh, and, and so that was really great, as well as the value you've given. So now there's reciprocity, right? So, so if nothing else, people will naturally be inclined to want to, quote, give back to you. And since you've given them value, the likelihood of you getting that sale is significantly increased. Yeah, the more value you create. I, I will tell you, I always tell people, all you have is time. That's all you have. And what you do with it, now that's a different story, right? And yeah. if you don't have like three priorities that you're working with, uh, it can be really, really difficult. And then you will start looking at cat videos or uh, scrolling. Yeah. Uh, that's a great reframe, by the way. You, you know, Everyone says you only have X amount of time, but you're saying you only have time. Right. I, I like that. It's an either it's a new way of looking at it, which is cool. It, that, that's actually that, yeah. That's how I right. hypnotize myself. I tell myself <laughs> every day I have plenty of time, and uh -huh. I have my editor on uh, my last book. She said, "You know what? That really works." I keep saying it, and it feels like I have more time. Yeah, put you at ease. That's it, also it true. Does, yeah, because there's this natural desire to just want to get more done. We're like conditioned to be trying to fill up our day, and yes, you want to be productive and strategic, but not stressed. And right. not constantly thinking about what's next, live in the moment, you know, and make that work for you best. You know, there's this quote on your LinkedIn profile. I don't usually do this, but I happen to like this one. So I'm going to, I'm just going to reference it. I'd love to hear more from you about this. You will never win all the clients you want. You'll win all the clients that want you. Right. So Anthony, Anthony, that's a gold mine. Go, go for it. Tell us what, uh, what that means to you. Well, I, I may disappoint you to hear for just a second. So go ahead. I, I want to tell you where I got this. I've never told anybody where I got that that quote from. Uh, now you're telling comes, all of us. <laughs> I'm just telling all of you now. Um, Go ahead. David Lee Roth was interviewed one day. And the person that was interviewing him said, did you get to sleep with every woman that you wanted to sleep with? And he said, no, I only got to sleep with the ones that wanted me. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's how it works in sales, too. Like if, if they want to buy from you because they trust you, because you created value for them, it's yep. really easy. But if you think that you're going to win them just because you want to win them, that's not going to, that's not going to work. It's a, right. it's a pull strategy, uh, not a push strategy. So, yes. So important that push pull dynamic is so critical because, you know, I remember that it's, it's fascinating to me in part because I came from the world, as I mentioned, of education. So even in my headmaster position, I really didn't sell a tremendous amount. You know, I wrote a weekly newsletter to parents. We'd send out emails. I'd meet uh, constituents. I'd, I'd, I'd participate in some fundraising because we were an independent school. But I wasn't focused primarily on outside or outbound marketing and sales. I was focused mainly on doing the very best for our school. Right, raising the academic rigor, improving the overall env environment, all those kinds of things, and I was involved in recruiting, but to a to a minimal degree. 
Then all of a sudden I hang a shingle and I say, here I am, I'm a coach. And I needed to create awareness quickly because I didn't have any meaningful uh, cushion to work with. And I was moving from the South to the Northeast, probably the most expensive market in the country with the exception potentially of California, but it's a very expensive place to live. And not having anything other than this new shingle hanging and saying, I'm going to be coaching and, you know, come work with me, that type of thing. So I really needed to learn everything. I needed to learn website development. I needed to learn some marketing. I needed to learn sales and I'm still learning them. Are you They're in not, the city? I don't live in the city. I live, I live in New Jersey, but I, I have clients in the close, city close enough. And, and I'm in the city constantly because, mm. you know, it's all, it's all, it's all interconnected where yeah. I am. But my I point is, my point is the idea of pull selling and pull marketing as opposed to push is something that did not dawn on me. For me, it was always about me, 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 look at how great <laughs> I am. Here are my degrees. Here's who I've helped. Here are the great testimonials I've received. And I still do use that because I do want to build a sense of authority. On the other hand, I have found your approach of asking the right questions, leaning in, providing value, and yeah. then having them want to. It even came to a point very interesting and very recently where there was a person who had read my articles in one of the local publications. It was all about goal setting at this particular time as we were looking into 2024. And he reached out to me twice via email. He wants to grow. He's 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 an attorney. He wants to build, you know, establish his, you know, um, advance his business development. So he's doing less of the work and more of the more of the selling. And he emailed me twice. It went to my spam folder. I'm not sure why. So I never knew that he was trying to reach out to me. Then I get a message that he called me, and eventually from there we wound up uh, doing an initial session. And now we have a client agreement, and we're working together for. For a period of time, but it was only because of the connect. I believe it was only because of the connection I developed through those articles that I had written that 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 allowed him, so to speak, to persist. Right, one email he didn't respond. Two emails he didn't respond. Most people would say, "Forget it." You know, I'm not I'm not going to deal with such a person. And usually, I'm very responsive. I just didn't know that he was trying to reach out to me. But it spoke to the fact that I was able to build enough relationship despite having never spoken with him in my life through the content that I was sharing and through the demonstration of the ability to solve his problem. Right. You created value in the documents that you uh, had him reading. And so he's thinking like this person has a greater understanding. We call that a being one up. It's not one upmanship. It's just that you have greater experience and greater knowledge in this one decision that he's trying to have help with. And then Sometimes you're one down uh, and I prefer to be one down because I would love you to teach me everything, you know, because now I'm getting the gift of another perspective that can help me in the future. But I have written um, every day since December 28, 2009, I've written a blog post. So I'm at 5,000, closing in on 5,200 blog posts. And wow. I get probably 400 subscribers every month just because I've got so much content there. And uh, when people come, they already know what I care about. They already know what I do. Same as you. They're reading it and they're like, yep, this makes sense to me. And it's a poll. 
like, yeah, I read this. I it makes sense to me now. I want to talk to you about it. Yeah, and then and you played a, uh, you played hard to get for a while, but yeah, eventually he got you right. <laughs> yeah, I did play hard to get, not even knowing that I was doing it. But coming back to what you were saying, because that's fascinating. Um, I I post weekly to my blog, and weekly is certainly not daily. There's a huge difference, you know, and just in terms of having the 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 or making the capacity and focus and all of that. I am curious about creating new content, right? How is it that you're able to to do that on a regular basis? And I'm also curious about the the challenges you have found with just being consistent to that degree, and and how you've overcome that. I'm a very very regimented, disciplined person, so I get up at four o'clock in the morning. Mm. And uh, I have to feed the cat because otherwise he'll bother me. Mm -hmm. And then I sit down with a cup of coffee and I write a thousand words uh, every morning. Yeah, that that's what I do. Still, still, still human generated. All, all human generated. All yeah, human generated. And and when you have, do you have a list of topics that you've yeah. pre-prepared, or are you sort of in the moment? What's what's exciting me today? Yeah, what's exciting me or what's <clears throat> what's bothering me is often I'm I'm unhappy with the state of sales altogether. Mm -hmm. It's too transactional. Uh, there's way too much technology, not enough uh, development of who you are. And I think the variable about people buying from you is that mm -hmm. that quote that you had. It's if they want to buy from you. Right. That means that the more that you develop yourself to be the kind of person that people want to buy from, the better that you're going to do. But they think it's there's new technologies or AI is going to do something for us. I'm writing a book with a, a buddy of mine on AI, and we're just explaining like the only reason to use AI is so you can have time for other people. That's mm -hmm. it. Like mm -hmm. this is between human beings. And I, I think that we're making a giant mistake on uh, thinking that technology is going to do the work for us. I think they mm -hmm. still, in the future, people are going to want to have somebody with certainty and confidence that can help make sure that they get the results that they want at the end of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I wasn't going to go here, but since you mentioned it, um, I have one final question for this segment, and I do want to get to that soon. But as you're thinking about AI and forecasting and whatnot, so we've been discussing it in my mastermind group. So I've got a number of small business owners and, and service providers. And the question, of course, arises, are there things that they are doing today, lawyers in particular, uh, but other areas too, HR professionals, fractional guys, this kind of thing. Um, are the things that they're doing, are their services in effect going to become obsolete or largely devalued because I can go ahead and put it into a computer, into a program and get the bulk, if not the entire thing for free or for a, a, a nominal cost. How, how do you see AI playing out in the service industry in particular? And um, if you want to loop it back to sales, that's that's totally fine. But I'm actually thinking more in terms of the act, the 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 expertise that I so let's say even, for example, I imagine there's AI coaching services available. I haven't really looked into it, but I imagine it exists. They are, or yeah, they're, will. They're available. yeah. So, so what, what are you thinking as far as people saying, well, I can get an AI coach for, you know, 99 cents a month or whatever it might be, or I've got to yeah. pay this guy $500 a I, month. I, I tried it. I tried it with a group called Waves. 
and okay. uh, it it wasn't very. It, it's not the same dynamic that you and I have as coaches. It's it's just nothing even close to it. Uh, it's more like a meditate on these kind of things. It wasn't very in. Um, yeah, I mean, for coaching, I would imagine people will still want because there's the there's the human element. There's the the yeah. intuition and all of that. But let's talk about a legal document doesn't have feelings, right? right. The same way. So, so what is your, how are you forecasting in, in those areas? I think um, th this is just me. So I'm just telling you what I believe. I believe that we're in post post literate society. I, we're, we're post literate plus some we're tick tock uh, generation now. Uh, so translate that translate that before you continue please for those who are not okay, familiar with the Okay TikTok generation everything has to be about 10 seconds so that's it and you have about 10 seconds you got to have some hook at the beginning and then they go right on and scroll around to the next thing uh that's not I mean that's thinking in bumper stickers and and bumper stickers have some wisdom uh occasionally right but it's not how you should be thinking in thinking you should be reading. So if I'm a lawyer and I'm not, but if I was, I would read the cases, even though uh, the AI gave me all of the sources, because I have to make sure that if I'm going to stand in front of a judge and make this case, that it better say what I think it says before I do this. And if you don't know the story, there was a guy in New York who asked ChatGPT to write his brief for him, and it wrote the brief. And it, it created a case and it created all this the uh, supporting cases and he delivered it and there was no such case nor were any of the other cases and uh he is uh under uh a lot of stress right now uh because he didn't do the work that he he thought that it was connected to the the legal things it just uh in this book my book the negativity fast i asked it to find me martin seligman's uh, the page, the, the, the story where he has a woman go talk to somebody and read this uh, very emotional uh, thing. And it said it's on page 118. It was. I said, okay, mm -hmm. maybe you're on the paperback and I'm on the hardcover. And it said 65. It's not on 65. It's nowhere mm -hmm. in there. It, it's nowhere. Mm -hmm. So it said, uh, here's what the story would look like. And it gave me the story. And I'm like, well, I don't need the story. I told you the story. I need mm -hmm. the citation, but it, mm -hmm. it has no soul, but it has a goal. And so you give it this goal, it's going to keep working on that goal and try to give you what you want, even though it's wrong. Mm -hmm. I believe if you do any research through GPT or BARD, you have to go look at that and make sure that what you say is actually what it said. Uh, and a lot of times it's, uh, it's uh, conflicting. So I yeah. think that that's what everybody's responsibility is right now. And this is just a large language model. We're not even at AI yet. I mean, we're yeah, not. You know, it's fascinating. I, I, I just I just grabbed a grabbed a quote from what you said in reverse. I want to bring it back to my group. It's you have a goal, but you have a soul. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that that's important, too, because we can't lose the human element of all that we do. And I think people are still maybe even more so than ever because of TikTok, because of social media, because of the distance that with the screen time, even when you go to the restaurant, everyone's got their phones out. It's as if they're like eight people sitting around a table having eight different meals unrelated yeah. to one another, as if we're like texting each other. 
So and now, more to now discuss they have these, for little, sure. these little things on the table where you can just pay and, and just walk out. And you're like, right, how much right. tech do we I, need? I, right. I want I paid, to dinner I paid with my, my wife. I hear that. So, so let me ask you before we before we wrap up this segment, it's the it's the question I ask everybody, and the reason for it is because um when when I when I bring successful people on to talk with me, and it's it's a blessing that I have that opportunity, you know, often it comes across that these are people who are super smart, super, super achieve, you know, high achievers, and and probably had this unfair advantage growing up. But the reality is leadership and success, as we all know is a lot about trial and error. It's a lot about learning what works and what doesn't, making mistakes and fixing them. So Anthony, what would you say was your biggest mistake, at least in terms of your career trajectory? Uh, and what, uh, did you, what did you learn from it? I'm going to ask you not to laugh at me when I tell you what this is. <laughs> so okay. you might. I believed everybody worked exactly like I worked. Mm -hmm. I, I believed that. I thought, you show up, I mean, you have your priorities, you do that. How disappointing was that for me <laughs> that a whole bunch of people did not have the same discipline. They didn't have the same strategies. And it's so weird because I think like, why wouldn't they be doing it the way that I do it? Well, they've had a mm -hmm. whole different life than mine. They've had all these different experiences and this is what they know. And uh, it was really disappointing. And I'll give you one more, a bonus one, if you want. I decided I'm going to hire very high paid people so I don't have to manage them. Worst mm. decision ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I learned uh, so much from that one experience. I hired two very, very high level people and both of them bombed out on me and it was my fault. Mm. And I didn't know mm. till that happened that I was supposed to be managing them. I was trying not to have to manage them. Yeah. And, uh, not not a good strategy. No, I, I hear that. And I've, I've heard others who have shared that as well. And so thank you for sharing that because that is something that I think a lot of people would think would work, uh, but it really often doesn't. And uh, we need to be minimally involved. And sometimes we want to bring people in who are less knowledgeable, less experienced, because we can then mold them right. into the leader <laughs> that we want them to become. So right. different approaches there. So let's transition, <laughs> rapid fire time. And I'm going to okay. ask you, this is this is speaker to speaker, trainer to trainer, the most impressive or intimidating, you could choose, stage that you've ever presented from. Um, when I was a kid playing rock and roll, uh, we opened up for a very big band and we had to go out in front of them. <clears throat> Nobody was there to see us. Uh, they were there for the other band. And I just remember being just like this, like I'm, I'm holding on to the microphone as like I can hide behind it, even though it's a very skinny microphone stand. I was just, there was, the audience was so big. Uh, That's intimidating. It, yeah, the audience was a big audience. So you're looking at 2000 people that are not there to see you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I was just trying best. to hide as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And then when I became a speaker, uh, my first gig was for a thousand people. And then my second gig was 2000 people in Liverpool, England. Mm. Uh, and the, thankfully I'm the kind of person that does the work ahead of time because every speaker that was in front of me was so good. I was mm -hmm. just sitting there going, why did I have to go at the end? Like why mm. I should have gone before these people. 
-hmm. but I, uh, I did a good job. And uh, basically that company took me around the world to speak to all of their teams. So it ended up being awesome. pretty good. Okay. The other ones we're going to keep nice and short, just in the interest of time, three tips to help you connect with your audience quickly. Tell them something about you. That's not flattering. Okay. Let, let them know that you're human. Okay. Okay. Anything that's else? one. Uh, understand where they are. So mm -hmm. if it's an audience that I'm talking to, I have a sense of where they are and I can speak to the sense of where they are right now and what they're challenged with or what their problems are. Awesome. The worst mispronunciation of your last name. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Anthony, you're in a rhino. Not even close. <laughs> Okay. I'm glad, I, I'm, I'm glad I asked you before our episode how you pronounce it, because I would have messed it up too. Three things we should all do before starting our day. Uh, the first thing that I would say is sit down and write, because I think you can get clarity on your priorities and your goals. I think okay. that's one. I also think it would be really helpful for people to get some movement in the uh, in the beginning of the day. So whatever the exercise is, whether it's uh, a, a treadmill or, or weights. And also, I think that you should drink 32 ounces of water with uh, salt and magnesium in it first thing hmm. in the morning and get your hydration back up. Nice. Okay. Uh, if you could plaster a message on a billboard for everyone to see, it would be? Uh, compassion is a lot better than, uh, empathy. Okay. That's something I'm going to chew on for a little bit. And finally, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. I block three 90 minute blocks every day on my calendar and 90 minutes is enough to do a really good job on something. But most of the time you'll put 90 minutes on and because you're focused it takes you more like 42 minutes and mm -hmm. uh, you can go do something else. So I'd like to have three of those. It's four and a half hours of my my day doing something what what Cal Newport would call deep focus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can people connect with you, Anthony, and learn more about you and your work and you know, the services that you provide? Uh, you can go to thesalesblog.com and it's not salesblog.com. It's thesalesblog.com. Uh, the mm -hmm. other one belongs to Jeffrey Gittimer and uh, LinkedIn is a great place to find me. I'm uh, I'm very, very active there. So that's a good awesome. place too. Okay. So you've shared a lot, Anthony. I wish we had more time, but I will ask you before we go to leave us with one final life lesson. Everything's your fault. Extreme ownership. Yeah. Everything's your fault. And uh, mm -hmm. as soon as you get your head around that life gets a lot easier. It does. It does. It's hard to swallow that at the beginning, though. I would say it really that for is. sure. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you're staying warm out there in, in, in Ohio, correct? That's right. Okay. I hope winter's not uh, been too difficult. I lived in the Midwest for uh, for 12 years, so I'm familiar. And, um, gray skies. For, yeah, gray skies, very often. Um, have a great weekend, and I'm looking forward to sharing this because this has been an absolutely insightful and delightful conversation. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure.
Bye-bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 